Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian. I've got my co-host, Ben Brandell, here with me today. Today, we're going to be diving into one of our most popular topics. When we go out and teach programs or offer programs, we always get people to sign up for our survival program. So this is going to be another episode about survival. But in particular, we are going to be making the comparison between modern and primitive survival. We get asked about the differences. We offer classes in both disciplines, but we're really going to be breaking down what each of those are, addressing whether or not you need skills in each area, and some examples of each of those uh, in your core four, food, fire, shelter, and water. You know, when researching how to have a successful podcast or uh, just really anything online in general, something we keep seeing or reading or being told is, to niche down, to have your niche niche, which is that that fine-tuned area that you are experts in. And we keep finding ourselves reluctant to really do that because, Ben, you and I both love the outdoors. We love everything to do with the outdoors. We dabble in a little bit of everything. Right. We haven't done everything, but we're willing to learn and do more. But, you know, we're not expert frog giggers, but we love to frog gig. No, the, the best example I have right now that, that has just come to me is... When I go to Walmart Supercenter, like I go down almost every aisle where we hit it all, right? But then there's some Walmarts out there that are the green ones, and all they are is just the neighborhood market. Yeah, a neighborhood market. They're just a grocery store. And when I walk in, I'm kind of disappointed because I wanted a little of everything. <laughs> there's so, no fishing aisle. There. <laughs> there's no fishing aisle, right? But I still want my snacks. So, you know, yeah, we we love everything outdoors, and we do. We can't niche it down. I mean, I, I understand the importance of that. If we own it a, a mechanic shop, yeah. you know, we probably would need to niche niche down like you're talking about. Of maybe we're just doing, putting on new tires, mm-hmm. not doing the oil change. Some places just do the oil change, but you and I, we both change oil and do tires. So right. let's and, do it all. And so, really, I'd I'd just like to say thank you for um, a lot of you that listen to this podcast. Some of these topics may be ones that you're not familiar with, but you still listen anyway. So so thank you for sticking with us and, and being willing to learn and having an open mind and, and an open heart. Uh, because as of right now, we're, we're not going to stop sharing everything outdoors, um, even though people are telling us that that's probably not the best business stance, but that's what our heart is. So that's what we're going to do. And mm-hmm. today's topic is survival. Survival. So let's jump right into it. And we have to start with very clearly defining primitive survival and modern survival so we can understand those two disciplines a podcast a little while back we t- we defined what survival was mm-hmm. so let's first define survival and then we can define the, the difference between primitive and modern okay so survival by the current culture worldly view by definition is very simple it's do not die it's it's it that's yeah. it do not die it's that simple but we said well, and we do say and teach. Yeah, what we teach is is honestly it's delaying your decay because you're going to die. You're going to die. We we are all going to die mm-hmm. one day. So we we try to delay that through going to the hospital, taking care of our bodies, eating right, yeah. working out, all the things that brushing we know your, we should be brushing doing. Your teeth, brushing your teeth, staying clean, hygiene, all those things help us to be healthier and to keep us from that that death. Right. And and in survival Man, it is such a big word. We make it sound simple by saying "do not die" or "delay or decay," but it's really it's really big. It's so complex because I believe we're all doing this every single day. We're surviving. Well, if if we weren't, then we wouldn't be here, right? So why is there this this concept of survival? Right. You this, know, this, so this whole um, well, it's it, very popular. It has been for several years now, but. All the shows, all the topics, all the blogs, all the YouTube channels. I mean, there are so many built around survival. So why is it such a pop culture thing? I mean, shouldn't it just be called life? Right. I mean, that's that's kind of what, what what I'm trying to say here is it's it's complex because there's a lot of different words that people have attached to it. Try to define it, and that's kind of what I'm trying to share today is is helping really decipher between what they are, and but then also talking through 
what what we teach and and why we teach it. Yeah, and I think when 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 people hear survival, if you just hear, "Hey, we're having a survival episode," your mind is probably going straight to, "Well, they're talking about surviving outdoors in the right. wilderness, away from home, away from the campground." What? How do you do it outdoors? But uh, that's just kind of a common cultural understanding of it right now. Correct. So now that we have an, a, somewhat of an idea of what survival is. Let's look at the, what primitive survival means. So by today's worldly standard, primitive survival is pretty much anything out in the natural environment. Right. Using those things, though, not you don't really take anything with you from... Right. You, yeah. You're, yeah, you're collecting sticks, natural. wood, rocks, leaves, whatever, to use as your survival tools. You're not taking metal tools and shovels and hammers and and knives even really yeah not in that genre not in primitive right not in primitive and then you have urban survival which we're talking about now your city right so what you and i when we use the word modern survival we're we're trying to reference man-made tools man-made things so in the wilderness but with man-made tools not in the city well could be okay so you could be herbal, urban, herbal, urban survival with modern day things, mm-hmm. modern day survival equipment, or you could be talking primitive and still using modern day equipment. Right. L- let me explain. So I believe that when we talk about anything primitive, it's what God created. Mm. So here's our separation. Primitive anything is what God's created that we can't create. And then you have modern, which you and I call modern survival. That's using what man's created. Things that man has built. Man has built, made. Now, you could say, well, the quickie bow, piece of wood with a string, mm-hmm. man made that. We did, using God's creation. So right. where's the line from primitive to modern? And that's where this talk gets really fun, because why today do we call survival only when we go out into the wilderness? You know, we look at the Native Americans, we would identify as that would be the primitive survival. Right. You're using plants, fibers, maybe to make your bojo for your fire. You're eating those fibrous plants, preparing out in the stream, using God's creation, not necessarily what we make today as man. And they were in the wilderness, but that was that was life for them. It wasn't a wasn't a choice for them to be out there. It, they didn't have another option to go. Nobody was coming to rescue them. But do they need to be rescued? They didn't need to because that was their life. And that's they, that's they were surviving. That's kind of your point. Is like our homes, our refrigerators, our vehicles, our clothes, all the things we have now. Nobody needs to come rescue us from that because. We're surviving with the things that we have. We just happen to have a life, a, a lot, a, a life of, of luxury if compared to what they were doing. Yeah, and, and now you're you're defining it by saying luxury, and maybe it is. Some people... And I'm not talking Alexis. I'm just saying that sleeping with any kind of blanket, whether you just have a bare mattress and a sheet, that is luxury compared to a bison, a, a bison hide on the dirt of the plains. And speaking of bison hide... That's something that's so impressive with the primitive lifestyle is using the, the how the natives lived. You know, they used every part of that bison. It, it became, well, we just talked about Walmart earlier. It was their Walmart. Yeah. From their food, their shelter, even for fire, even for water collection and toys for the kids. And they, they used it all. And that's impressive because, you know, I, I'm a biologist. I have, I've studied it for years and years. I also have a pretty good base of survival knowledge, but I could not go do that with a bison. I couldn't, I wouldn't know what to do with all of it. Well, and that's the art that, that we today, that are living today, a lot of us have lost the art of using those natural resources. Mm-hmm. And that's where the separation lies. So let's flip over out of primitive then into modern. You know, if you want to use a big lighter, most people know how to use a big lighter to start a fire. Right. And... Is that okay? Absolutely. It, yeah, absolutely. You're you're surviving. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have it, why wouldn't you use it? Right. 
and that's why some people need to define what they're doing first. So what I mean, if you are a primitive survival enthusiast, like you love, want to dig into that, then go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're wanting to leave all your modern day equipment at home and go out, go for it. If you're wanting to go camping and you're only taking your man-made modern items, go for it. Yeah. It can be tough though if you if you choose to really want to dive into uh, those primitive things because we don't even really have access to everything that we would need to learn. For instance, you can watch a YouTube video of somebody teaching you how to utilize all the parts of a bison going through the whole thing and you can have that knowledge in your brain but until you go out and harvest a bison and apply all that and actually go through the experience of doing it then it's really just a hobby right it is in an episode one of our past episodes you shared that you butcher your own deer i do did someone have to teach you to do that? Yes. Right. So you're going to have to find somebody to learn it from, mm-hmm. just as they did. Just just as you will teach your son how to do those things. Right. That's where it comes from. And that's yeah. relationship, that's connection, that's that's what it is. And we have lost a lot of that. And I feel that's due to us moving completely to what we call modern survival into this urban survival environment where we rely completely on electricity and running water. Mm-hmm. I mean, those those two things right there are so key for keeping us indoors and being able to control our own climate. Right. It's huge. So yeah. if you're controlling your own climate, why would you want to leave it? If, it feels it feels pretty good when it's 95 degrees outside to have a 70-degree house. really does. It feels really good. You know, you and I have talked before that even while we're recording podcasts, we don't sit here and drink a lot of water. No. We just don't. Like, I'm not really thirsty right now. But the moment that we go outside and we start moving and working, we need water quickly. You want it. You need it. You want it. Yeah. It's so so much easier to get dehydrated, too. So when we get into the survival world, as you're moving from the indoors into the outdoors, no matter what the situation is, there are some different viewpoints. You have your primitive and you have your modern. And I personally believe you should be learning both. That's You should be. Learn both. If you don't know how, then start with YouTube. There you go. But once you've learned it there, you need to go practice it and apply it. Why does that matter? Why does practicing matter once you watch it and read it or read it? Well, and I'll use the the butchering a deer example that I've actually even been one of the most watched uh, how to process a deer videos on YouTube. I, I filmed and helped produce. And so you can watch that over and over and over. But until you have a deer hanging in front of you and you are pulling the hide off of it and you're trying to find these muscles are so close knit together you're trying to find the division of those you don't really have the knowledge of that you know you're looking for that but you don't really know how to do it so you have to apply Mm -hmm. the knowledge right you you have to know how and then you have to go show that you know how right so that's why i think it's so important to learn skills from both sides Mm -hmm. It's, it's really important I do carry a Bic lighter. Here's a cool little survival tip for everybody out there. I do carry a, a Bic lighter. I carry it in my um, first aid kit. Mm-hmm. But I take duct tape and I wrap around my Bic lighter. I use duct tape for all kinds of things. So now I have kind of have a dual purpose for a Bic lighter. I can start a fire for one, two, plus I have duct tape wrapped, wrapped around it, which is much smaller in diameter than carrying a big circle you know, Absolutely. roll of duct right tape. Right there in your pocket. Right there in your pocket. So you know, that's a cool tip. You've got it. Duct tape's even somewhat flammable. I was going to say, you can even rip you can them use off it as and tender. light it with a lighter. Right. Yep. So, but that would be an example of modern survival skills. Like, if you've never tried to light duct tape on fire, then go try it so you know you can do it. Can you light it when it's wet? I don't know. Go see. Go figure it <laughs> go out. Go give it a try. Go practice it. Then you get into the primitive side. What happens if your big lighter is broke? Mm-hmm. You can't use it anymore. Um, inside the big lighter at the top, the spark that's, that's being created is a ferro rod. We've talked about ferro rods in the past, but that is a little tiny itty bitty ferro rod. If it breaks or wore out or you're done, I mean, you can't make a fire anymore with what you have. So if you can't use modern day survival equipment, it's great to have those primitive backup skills. Yeah, yeah. correct. But if I've got everything I need, if I have prepared before I went, 
Well, that's awesome. Then you don't need then you don't need to rub two sticks together. Yeah, I mean, I have a vehicle, so I'm not gonna run to work every day. I'm right. gonna drive. Right. Use what you've got, and yeah. I don't know. There is a little tension in that. People get frustrated when they're like, "Well, you've got to learn the art of self-reliance through mm-hmm. primitive technology." All that's great. Learn it. But if I'm in a situation where it becomes either lost or I'm trying to get away, I want to use all the resources that I have, and I'm probably going to start with my man-made items right. first. Well, even we talk about Alone a lot. It's probably the most popular survival show right now. Uh, they are allowed to collect whatever human man-made items they find. If they find uh, water bottles or pots or... Uh, you know, uh, last season that we watched, a guy stumbled on a, a, a trash, I'll call it a trash cache, but it was a bunch of old paint cans and soup cans, and he took them and, and made a, a, a wood-burning stove and chimney out of those things. So they are collecting man-made things. And the point of that is some people are frustrated that they're able to do that, but really in a survival situation, that's what you should be doing, utilizing everything, keeping that awareness, keeping your eyes peeled to what is here that I can use and then having some type of base knowledge to to use it. Right. You know, you just said survival situation. That's kind of another another one that people use a lot. So kind of defining it and bringing it back home here that survival situation, most people are referring to you are lost out in the mm-hmm. wilderness. Yep. And hoping somebody finds you. You're, you're praying that somebody will find mm-hmm. you, right? Or you are trying to make a plan to get out. So survival situations are even tricky as well because each one is so unique it's so different it's so complex that how can you plan and prepare for all of that and you can't but you can start planning now for skills what you need to know for basics that will set you up for success and your basics where you're going to start is your core four right food fire shelter and water so why don't we jump right into a modern, at least one example of, of modern and primitive of each of those areas and kind of talk about ways that people can go about that. So when when practicing these skills, I first want to state that there's that mindset aspect before you even get into the physical skills of the core four. So and why, why it's so important on the mindset is, is, Brian, you are so good at this part of the mindset. And it's it's where I'm going to add in the awareness piece. You know, like, if you don't have an awareness when you go outdoors, I don't know how to teach that. I don't know how to get people to have a better awareness than what they already have. Uh, maybe more experiences may wake them up to saying, hey, I need more awareness. I don't know. But you're great at awareness that when you go outside, you generally know the direction that you're at. Like, you know where north, south, east, and west is as soon as you step out. You're already paying attention to wind direction. You're looking at the flora and, fla- f- flora and fauna around you. Mm-hmm. You're very in tune with all of that. You know, sometimes that can't be taught. So how are you going to teach people to do that in a survival situation? You can't. So start learning how to now. Like, learn those things now while it's not, by definition, a survival situation. Start really getting in tune with what's around you, what's happening, which is situational awareness. Really being, you know, you have taught me a lot, Brian, that, you know, looking at the trees, which way are they leaning? Which way are they growing? What are the plants around those trees? Where is the water? Are there animal tracks or scat or mm-hmm. game trail? And Animals can tell you so, so much because guess what they need? Everything we need. They need the same <laughs> stuff we need. You know, I, I guess technically they don't need a fire. Right. We can throw the word space in there because everyone mm-hmm. talks about animals need space. But they need, they, they're surviving just like we are. And so, you know, I guess in that mindset of understanding that everything outside even insight, even you, everything has a story. Mm-hmm. Everything's telling a story, and you kind of have to learn how to read that. So getting in that mindset now, right mindset, right attitude, hopefully gets you into that right awareness. But that's kind of that, that first steps of if we could teach anybody anything, it would be learning that first. It's so important. And then getting into learning these skills. So let's look at the skills between primitive and modern. So we're going to start with shelter first. Shelter is usually your number one priority. What I mean by that, you have to remember the rules of three when it comes to the core four. Our core four are food, fire, shelter, water, but not in that order. Rules of three apply as your shelter. You can only go three hours in inclement weather without a shelter. That's why you're prioritizing that first, because second, 
is going to come. Water, you can only go three days without it. Then you're going to get into food. Food, we can only go three weeks without it, which leads us to fire is going to help with food, shelter, and water. So we first start with shelter. If you're wanting to learn your modern shelters, it's okay, go buy a tent and figure out how to put it up. Right. Learn Start how, there, yeah. I mean, there's people that struggle using tents. Yep. Matter of fact, they struggle so much after they use it the first time, sometimes they just throw them away and I'll buy a new one next time, mm-hmm. which is crazy. They get really expensive. Yeah. So start with a tent. Then if you want to keep digging into more skills in regards to modern survival, leave the tent at home and get into a hammock. Start. There's people that hammock camp and try it and mm-hmm. learn how to do hammocks. Some people in the hammock side... They're, they're lightening their load by using different types of cordage that they're going to tie some really cool knots that hang on the tree. It's no carabiners, no metal. Get into that world. If you want to dig even deeper into modern survival, leave the leave your hammock and get into tarp. Yeah. Use a tarp. You know, Brian, it's something you and I teach all the time. The tube tarp shelter. The tube tarp shelter. It's, it's essentially a, a string, a piece of, a piece of cordage tied between two points usually trees and and you have a tarp draped over it i mean there's it's a little more complicated into that and and how you fold it and how you stake it down and all that but it it if you have a tarp and a string you can survive most situations right it's really good and that is why we teach it so often because it's lightweight it's cheap and it is fun to camp in but it can also save your life so Mm -hmm. learn that one if you're wanting to get into modern a little more than just putting up a tent Learn how to put up a tube tarp shelter. Right. And you've been with groups of kids up at 14,000 foot yeah. peak mountains um, and staying in those with waking up with snow on your shelter and, and y'all were fine. Amazingly yeah. fine, yeah. Slept good. So getting a little deeper into modern, uh, leave your tarp at home and now you have to purchase this like all the rest of the items. Buy a bivy bag. So now you're literally in a sleeping bag that's inside a bivy bag that you zip up. You have nothing else. Super lightweight. Try that. And a bivy bag is going to essentially uh, keep your sleeping bag dry. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you're just right on the ground in that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound very comfortable. Well, I don't, I mean, I've slept in it many nights. Yeah. So loved it. Works for me. I'm. If it isn't my bed, it's not comfortable. Right. So we're so conditioned <laughs> to that though. I mean, even, even when we go stay at a hotel or Airbnb, like what well, we can't wait to get back to our bed. Mm-hmm. our bed so we're so conditioned to where we sleep so that is a good point that if it's if it's not your your serta and memory foam pillow then it's probably not going to be completely comfortable to you no <clears throat> nope it takes a little while for your body to adjust but i guess that you know digging one more step into that on the shelter side now we're getting you know away from the bivy and this is getting into what they call the emergency blankets you know this just a reflective, really thin, yeah. yeah. Just learning how can I use that to get through the night. You know, you know what? Take a step even a little bit deeper. Maybe try to spend one night using only a trash bag, fifty-five mm. gallon trash bag, mm-hmm. right? Because when we break down what shelter is doing for you, it is keeping you dry and keeping you warm. Yeah, keeps so, the wind off of you and keeps mm-hmm. the wet off of you. Right. Those are the two things that are that can Those get are you. The so. things that rob the heat from your body. Yep. Our bodies have to stay ninety-seven to ninety-nine degrees. I'll just give you that average, that range in there. Yeah. So they're going to average out at ninety-eight degrees. Our bodies need to stay that way, and that's why shelter is so important. So. And, and Ben's point with the, with the fifty-five gallon, we're talking about the big black trash bags, is that you know it literally will fit in your pocket, any mm-hmm. pocket, and if you always have that with you. If you get into a serious emergency situation, you could put that over you and huddle beside a tree. You're not going to sleep, but you're going to you're not going to get hypothermia. You're going to stay dry. You're going to stay out of the wind because you have that barrier. Uh, the one thing, the disclaimer I'd like to add is, don't ever tie the trash bag off. Yeah, I mean you don't want to <laughs> tie yourself in it. Yeah, that's not smart. Uh, suffocation also kills. So yeah. One, um, one last thing I want to add on the modern shelters is. The clothes that are available today to go spend out time outdoors are amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. You know, you and I have fished bass tournaments where it's 50 degrees and it rains the entire 10 hours that we're out there. Yeah. And we're good and we're able to do that because of the expensive Gore-Tex clothing that is available. And that is your that is shelter number one. But that that's a modern that's a modern shelter because if you were wearing handmade leather, you'd be wet. Yeah. And cold. And cold. Yeah. You know, 
work we're kind of working through right now the that modern survival skills so i guess the skill in clothing is picking out the correct ones Mm -hmm. you know of knowing what to get but clothing is our first line of shelter so if you dressed correctly perfectly for the environment you wouldn't need any other shelter no you wouldn't even need the trash bag you wouldn't but because people like to lay down they like to they need to change clothes they want to get more comfortable now we need space and that's where we get into these shelters Mm -hmm. right or if you're wearing the correct clothing even if it's waterproof and you fall into the river or the creek or whatever the the crazy scenario is now you got to get dry and you would need those other forms of Mm -hmm. shelter so but that one more thing in regards to modern survival shelter is after you've practiced all of those and learned how to do those and and get good at it you know what knots do i need for connecting to two points and to make it taut and can i use rocks instead of tent stakes um then start looking into what do i have with me that could become a shelter so you know you and i we do kayaking trips paddling trips you know those things could be your shelter for a night so Mm -hmm. then you're learning how do i use a canoe as a shelter and a kayak as a shelter you start getting creative, but that's where that awareness we talked about earlier kind of comes in. And I think that comes to getting more comfortable with what you're doing. Right. So that's shelter, modern. Yeah. Let's do, let's look at uh, some primitive options for shelter. What you can do, no tarp, no trash bag, uh, no cordage that you brought with you. You could maybe make some cordage, but let's look at some of those options. Yeah. Getting into the primitive side, there's two that I've taught in the past. Um, we, we teach one of them still today. But they're called the debris hut and the wiki up, and that's about as far as I would go. And why I say that is is learn how to master those first. Learn how to get really good at those. Learn the different well environments that you're in. Are you using dry leaves? Is that all you have? Are you cutting off branches and limbs and different types of plants and using different plants materials to make it more waterproof? Work through all that. But a debris hut is different than a wiki up. And they serve different purposes. Right. But you're in that situation. You're only using God-created things, primitive things. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about... I'm going, to, I'm going to describe what a debris hut is, and, and there's a point I want to make after that. So a, a debris hut, basically you're going to find a spine, a long ridge pole, stick, or log, something that you can pick up and move and carry that is at least as long as your body, preferably a little longer so that you can fully get in it. And then you're going to find something, if you don't have uh, cordage, you're going to find like a V in a tree, three, four feet off the ground that you can lay this ridge pole in. And that is the base of your shelter. And then you're going to take what we call the ribs. So you've got the spine laid up in there. You're going to find smaller sticks and you're going to lay them perpendicular to that spine, basically making ribs all along there. And then once you have a whole bunch of sticks, you need to leave a door so you can get in. And that door is going to be up against the tree that you that you laid your spine against. You're going to cover that. You need to cover it with natural material because, again, this is primitive. You don't have modern things. You don't have a tarp. And usually that is grasses and leaves and those types of things. So where you pick to put that shelter is important because there has to be enough what we call dead and down. You don't have a saw. You don't have uh, clippers. You don't have anything to cut the pole and the ribs. So you need to be able to pick all this stuff up you know, within eyesight, you don't need to be mm-hmm. traveling a whole bunch. So right. do it where the stuff is to save your energy, cover it in thick, thick leaves and grass. And the rule of thumb that we use, it should be the length of your arm. Mm-hmm. And that's how much insulation you need. And that's going to help keep the water out, keep your body heat in. But that takes so much time and energy. When we teach this, we ha- actually do most of our debris huts as groups, mm-hmm. sometimes big groups, just for the sake of time. Because it takes so much time to collect all those materials, particularly when you're getting grass and leaves to cover this thing in that is as deep as your arm. It could take hours for you to do by yourself, and you're using a lot of calories, a lot of water. You're going to need to replace that energy when you're done, so having it as close to where your site is as possible. The point I'd like to make after describing that shelter is there's skills to go with that that are important in identifying what you're using. You don't want to pick up a big six-inch poison ivy vine and lay it up as your ridge pole. You don't mm-hmm. want to collect poison ivy and leaves as your even conifer things that have a bunch of needles. Like you don't want to have to use all that things, things that could be dangerous to you in your shelter. So knowing your environment, knowing the flora and fauna, 
identifying a place to put up this shelter. You don't want a big deadfall tree that could fall on you above you. You don't want to be in a flood zone. You have to be able to have all these skills and these awareness pieces that Ben is talking about to truly make a good primitive shelter. Yeah, and, and that comes back to really actually a lifestyle right now because majority of us are not in a true survival situation, you know, but we're preparing for that in case it does happen. But you can take it a step further and, and learn how to do all these things because it is fun. And you never know when an event may happen that you would need to rely on the actual skill. So the question I pose for before we continue on here with the primitive shelter is like, how much do you love your man-made stuff? And I'd ask you that, Brent. How much do you love your man-made stuff? I love it a lot. What did you just get? Brand new today. It just well, came in the mail today, guys. While we were prepping lunch, you know, uh, got the knock on the door. FedEx man, one of my favorite guys to see. He delivered my brand new pair of binoculars and i actually cooked our steaks that's right we had steaks for lunch i cooked them a little more than we like because i was so excited about this gear and i've referenced ben you before being a gearhead but you even have a whole room in your house that is your gear room Mm -hmm. we love our man-made stuff and our man-made gear we we do we love it a lot yeah because people have found a need and then tried to fill it you know Mm -hmm. to to make life more comfortable or perhaps more easier but in loving our man-made things, some people would, well, may give their life for the love of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, and why I'm sharing this is, is why is it important to know both skills? Why is it important to know the modern shelter and then to know how to do a primitive shelter? Because you may be carrying around your tent and your backpack and your life is in that. Like, this is what's protecting me every night to stay alive. And a bear... Or another human decides to grab it, tear it, rip it up, steal it, whatever. Maybe you accidentally set it on fire. Maybe you burn it up. Yeah. If you're not willing to let go of those things to to still live, Mm -hmm. then it is going to be tough. And that's what's so awesome to know that you may start out with all your prepping items. You know, if you're a prepper and, and you're preparing what that list is for you or you're preparing a bug out bag, you're going to start off with your man made items. But you may have to ditch them. You may have to depart with them. You may lose them. And that's where the primitive side truly can help give you confidence knowing that it's okay to leave all that stuff yeah. behind. And I personally believe that the uh, the attachment to stuff, I'm just going to use the word stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a tactic that the devil uses because mm. it, it, it gets us, our hearts and our minds focused on that and away from Jesus. Yeah. And we see that so much in our culture of, well, I have to get more money because I have to have that car, or that boat, that backpack, whatever it may be. And we really don't have to have it. I kind of had an awakening. Um, and, and we're all guilty of that at, yeah. at certain times and in certain degrees. But I kind of had an, an awakening to how severe that is for some of our youth today. Uh, a few years ago, I was I had a group of junior high students and we were we were uh fishing i took them i took them trout fishing and one particular student dropped their phone i remember this in the water yeah, yeah i think you were you were helping me with this trip yep. that day you were there and the reaction to that caught me so off guard because it was a phone they are expensive and, and we do use them for so much we do have attachment to them but the phone is so replaceable it may not be the phone you wanted to replace it with it may take longer to replace it than you wanted but it's replaceable. Mm-hmm. Our lives are not replaceable. Right. So at the end of the day, we really should value people and ourselves more than we're valuing this stuff. But the reaction to this, and I'm not exaggerating this, it was it was too as if somebody just fell in and drowned right there, as, as if this person's best friend just drowned right there. This was this reaction. And it caught me off guard. And it, was a, it was a learning moment for me on how to address it. But we had to pull that student aside and, and have almost this exact conversation of, look, I know you're going to be in trouble when you get home. I know you're not going to be able to talk to your friends. I know it may be several months before you get a new phone. And that really does stink. And it's okay to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. However, you're going to get a new phone. You're let, going, to, you're going let, to get a new phone. Let me add to this because I was actually standing next to her. And as the phone touched the water, as the phone touched the top of that water, the screen was facing her. So what was open on the screen you could see and it floated all the way to the bottom and when it got down there you could still see it was crystal clear water it was on yeah and the the craziest part is by the time we got the net and i scooped 
or you scooped. I can't remember who yeah, it was. We got, we got it, it scooped eventually. up. I just remember it was more difficult to get out. It was deeper than we thought it, it was. It was a lot it was deeper. Difficult to get out. She grabbed it, had it in her hands, and as she did, the screen started flickering uh-huh. and died in her hands. You know that that was when her it dropped. She had no awareness anymore. She didn't care about anything around her, anyone around her. It was all about her and how she felt. Right. And that's another piece of the survival side that you have to push all that out. You know, you have to keep acting moving forward. So shelter is a, well, probably the number one priority for most people in most situations. Again, it changes depending on the scenario, but really get into learning how to build shelters first because it's such a need for, for most, well, especially where we live. Yeah. Um, the other part of the, the other shelter we were talking about was called a wakey up. It's basically a TP. It's another debris hut style. It's a TP. Um, but again, with just stuff that you're finding. Yeah. You're not cutting. Right. Not cutting. But that's when you can also start making cordage out of natural plant fibers. And then you can start lashing and, and you know, tying things up and around whatever you needed to do. So there's a couple, well, more than a couple examples, but that's a good start to get into really digging into shelter skills. Yeah, sorry sorry for getting too deep on the shelter. We'll, we'll try not to get too deep on each of the core four here. But we'll try not. After, after shelter, water is, is so important. And that's kind of the, when, you, when you're comparing primitive and, and modern, it's kind of like, well, what is, what's modern about water? Mm-hmm. Well, what you're really getting into is the vessel. What are, you, what are you drinking it out of? What do you have to collect it, keep it, purify it in? Because not all water are you going to find and just be able to drink. Right. This the water is tricky. You know, there's water that you can drink and water that you cannot drink. And you cannot drink it until you either filter it or purify it. Right. So how are you going to go about it? You know, when we look at the modern side, we have filters you can buy right now at any store. They do have filters that will filter out bacteria and viruses at the smallest micron. But there are some filters that don't do that. So be careful what you're buying. Do your research. Mm-hmm. If you have questions, reach out to us. We'd love to help. You can buy those. You also can can buy purification tablets. You can uh, buy different methods of purification, such as there's Polar Pure out there. There's all kinds of chemicals, different. Yeah, what's the the PNG one that gels? Is uh, it's PNG, right? Yeah, PNG. It's basically a a powder, and you pour this into the water. And there's a reaction that occurs, and it collects everything, absorbs to this powder that you put in there, and then it settles out in the water, and you pour it out over the po- over the top. But you literally see all the sedimentation, um, and, but it's binding to everything that's in the water, the powder that you put in. Yeah, it is so awesome the technology in that. Like they're like, actually using that in areas of the world to solve our water crisis. Yeah, one packet is going to filter two and a half gallons of water so and and in packet you're talking about something that's like the size of a salt and pepper packet you get at a restaurant it's very small it is very small yeah and and why they're so amazing is that the technology and this this man-made way of purification which is so so crazy is when you pour that in that packet you know you have negative and positive charges but what starts happening is is that it's going to trap on to all of the gross stuff in that water all the nasty stuff that can make you sick and after it does that it actually adds weight then, that produces, produces more weight, it falls to the bottom of your container, and then it starts releasing basically chlorine, yeah. which is going to purify your water. So you can get things like that today. And don't say, ooh, whoa, gross, don't want chlorine in my water. If you're not on well water and you're on city water, then you have chlorine in your water today. Yeah, I mean, the last step of that process, is you actually have to filter that out. So they require mm-hmm. you to filter it before you drink it. But, but that could be as simple as pouring it through a, a t-shirt or a sock. Yeah, right, right. exactly. So. You know, you get into your chem- chemical purification, but then we also can purify by boiling our water. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get into the method of filtration. And how long do you boil water so that you know it's purified? Most most of the time we're going to teach three minutes with a rolling boil. Mm-hmm. So you start seeing bubbles on the top, let that go for three minutes. You know that everything in there should be dead. Right. Yep. So in a primitive situation, or let, let's start with modern. In a modern situation, you're going to have some kind of, of metal man-made container that you can boil in. Ben always says if there's one survival item that he would take and leave everything else at home, it's going to be that container, that metal container, because it's so hard to recreate. So in a modern situation, you're going to have a metal pot, and we'll say a, a lighter, a ferro rod. You're going to light your fire. If you have no chemicals, no nothing else, you're going to put your water in the metal pot, put it over the fire, boil it for three minutes. And that that's your modern way of survive, surviving with water. It is. 
Now, let's say you have no metal pot, you have no lighter or ferro rod. How do you do that primitively, Ben? So this could be a really long talk. I'm going to try to keep it really short yes. here. So when we talk about primitive water, there are filtration methods that some survivalists teach. You know, grabbing a sand layer, a soil layer, a rock layer. Um, they found charcoal. But they pull it out of their fire layer. You know, you can learn and try to build all of those. Um, here's what I'm going to say. Practice it if you want to, but I prefer to learn what type of plants have water in them. For example, we have grapevines here where we yes. live, Ozarks. Wild grapes. Wild grapes, yep. When you cut through that, you are going to get some water. You know, this gets into s your situation. Can you stay for a while, or are you just trying to cut through? Yep. You know, so has it just rained or not? It's, again, situational, trying to figure out what's going on, but there are ways to find water. So let's say you're in a primitive situation, and what's cool about these grapevines is that they go up 40, 50 feet, and there's water through the whole thing. So if you cut that down low and you hold it over your mouth and drink it that is pure clean water and you're getting that flow from that 40 50 feet up in a tree mm -hmm. but in a primitive situation if you don't have a cutting utensil ben how are you going to cut this vine well you can make knives that's that's why the one thing that's hard to recreate is the metal pot right you'd have to make an ember burned bowl and then you're going to have to use rocks to boil your water inside the ember burned bowl you know it's doable People have done it centuries ago. They live, they survive to, for us to be here today. But the point is, is that it's a lot easier to take things with you than try to recreate them. Right. So a knife, if I need to make one, you're going to bust rocks. Bust a rock. Yeah, start you cutting away. Smash a rock and you get that sharp edge and yeah, cut mm -hmm. away at that vine and, and start drinking out of it. And that is, that sounds, that's easy to describe. Bust a rock, you get a sharp edge, use it as a knife. Then it is to take an ember and start carving out a piece of wood with an ember so that you can drink out of it. It's a, that's a long, drawn-out process and one that you may not have time for in a survival situation. But it is a type of primitive skill. It is and a if primitive you, skill. And if you want to learn how to do it, go learn, right? Correct. If, it's only going to make your life easier if you end up in that, in that yeah, situation. Yeah, if you know how to live off of a, a metal cup, but then you lose it and you know how to live out of an ember burn pole, mm -hmm. you know, great. Learn those skills. Learn everything that you can. Don't just be a niche niche. Get in, learn everything there is, both modern and primitive. Yeah, and there's there's other type of containers, too, that people are able to make in the primitive. You know, I've seen people uh, you with your rock that you made into a knife, you can take the bark off of a tree and almost make it, you know, wrap it into a, a funnel cup. And is it going to leak? Yeah. Are you going to be able to just keep water and let it sit there? No. But could you collect some water to drink out of that vine? Yes. So there, there are options primitively, but it is not as easy as just having that, having that modern cup. Yeah. I mean, you're also looking at clothing as well. So, you know, if there's a dew out there um, and you walk through the dew, now you're collecting your clothing, there's water. Is it drinkable or not? I don't know. What have you been walking through? But mm -hmm. you have water that's drinkable. We'll call it rain. Drinking off leaves. But, but again, once, once you better hits, know what kind of leaf you're drinking off of. Yeah, what leaf you're drinking off of? What was there before the, before well, you drank off what the leaf? What pooped on it? So once that rain hits something that could be contaminated, now you have to be very careful. You know, so find those areas that are clean to drink. Um, you know, another is springs. People we get asked, can you drink out of a spring? If I'm in the eight survival situation, yeah, I am. I'm going to, but there is a risk because there could be something dead up in the spring, up in the waterway, up in the cave that. Could give you Giardia cryptosporidium, which leads to all kinds of things. So, right. well, we just we just talked about an episode we had recently with with our guest, our engineer guest Brandon, that they were finding um, E. coli numbers in areas where there were no sewer lines because of all the dog poop runoff from the neighborhood nearby. Right, and that's wild. Yeah. You so know. there could be that stuff in the spring that you're drinking. So if you had to drink out of a bubbling, moving spring, it is an option. However, if you have a filter or you can boil it, that's a better option. Yeah, yeah, and you should. You should try to be, you want to take care of your water. But again, what do you have with you? And then what are your resources around you to do all of that? Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna. that's as far as I'm going to go with water. We can keep digging in, but hopefully it gets a good start. There are man-made items that you can buy and go out and try and learn how to use. On the yeah. primitive side, start learning the plants. But I'm getting hungry. Oh, I bet you. Well, you just had some. Some, a good lunch. I did have a good lunch. However, it didn't last very long. So how do I get food? You know, we don't teach this one a whole lot. We just don't. You and I teach hunting and fishing. We do. And 
I prefer to teach hunting and fishing than I do some of the other methods of survival because, as we talked earlier, you have three weeks to get food. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that true for everybody? No. Maybe two weeks for you. Some can go longer. Some can go longer, right? All of these these things we're talking about are averages. Doesn't mean it's exactly perfect for you. So find out who you are. Learn what works for you and what your needs are so that you can continue to fulfill them. So, right. But with food, we're going to teach how to fish, how to trap, how to hunt. Mm-hmm. But you can get into, oh, the we'll call it the, the pioneering days as Europeans came over and, and are living off the land, right? We've got to find food around us. So if you're not going to hunt... Foraging. Foraging. If you're not going to hunt for meat, now we're moving into foraging for plants. So we're looking plants, for... Plants, invertebrates. Invertebrates. What's, what is edible that I can eat? Insects? Uh, that would be invertebrates. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of all the the awesome things to eat outdoors, but we don't teach a lot of wild edibles because of the risk that comes with it in today's age. But but, but it is it is a a skill yeah. to have. Something I suggest um, is having. It is so hard because there are so many things and it changes geographically. So something I suggest that is an awesome thing to take with you is going to be a, a field guide. So under the condition that we lost all power and you couldn't Google is how to eat common plantain or how to identify common plantain. I have a book for mm-hmm. where we live and I know you have the same book that we teach out of it. I study it uh, because I think it's fun. <laughs> but if you had that book, even if you didn't know everything, you could get a pretty good idea if this book was with you and it doesn't take a lot. Some field guides are pocket size. So mm-hmm. that's a great thing to have on the modern side. But if you didn't, if you didn't have that book, then you're going to have to have this, this knowledge before you go. Otherwise it's, you're going to have it very simple of, uh, I, I know people eat earthworms, so I, that's what I'm going to eat. Cause I know that's probably safe. Yeah. Grasshoppers, locusts, right. I'll get into all that, you know, learn what's edible learn how to prepare it. Mm-hmm. You and I do teach to cook everything, even if it's going to be insects. Flash fry it real fast. Yeah. yeah. You know, put it in your metal cup, make them pop real fast and then eat them. But and, and, and the reason for that is that on their exterior, on an exoskeleton of an insect, there's, there's bacteria. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to get sick. Yeah. I don't and want some, to get sick. And some of those insects actually, uh, they will, since we're using foraging, we'll say they, they forage on scat. Mm. And if you're with mom and dad listening to this, you don't know what scat is, you go ahead and ask them. Ask them now. Yeah. Ask them now. Now's the time. So there's lots of ways to get food. But like Ben said, it that's going to be one of your later priorities because you can go a long time without it. You're not going to be comfortable. With a lot of these things, you're not going to be comfortable. But your body can withstand quite a few days of not having food. Correct. So what about fire? Fire is my favorite one. It's just... Man, it feels so good when when you can go out and you can make a fire. It just feels so good. Yeah. I want to back up before we get into fire. I want to give it a couple of examples of uh, primitive versus modern um, on the food side. Yes. Um, and what, particularly trapping. You know I love to trap. Uh, that, trapping, that alone you can separate, right? Right. Right. Trapping is a lot easier if you have modern tools. And I'm going to keep it very very simple so we're going to talk um about a snare a snare is one of the most common traps ever it's it's literally some type of cordage that you fasten to something you put it in an animal's path um it has we'll call it a slip knot and a loop on the end and as they go through it they get stuck in it and they can't get out well it's a lot easier to use trapping wire to make that snare than it is to have to make cordage that is stiff enough to use as a snare Mm mm-hmm it's a lot easier to set a foothold trap that is made of metal and has springs in it than it is to carve sticks and fashion a Paiute deadfall with rocks and a stick. So there's your kind of two sides there. You can do it primitively with what you find, but it's always going to be easier with the modern materials that you brought. Yeah, faster sometimes. Mm-hmm. and More effective? Could be, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if you went against a, a primitive survivalist that uses snares, Versus someone that's never used a modern day snare, he may beat you every time, right? So it's really getting good at at those skills, practicing them, but doing it now while you're not in those crazy situations. Learn it now. Yeah, and and the other side of that is learning it is is fun. And you said that like to go out to go out and set 
a snare, you have to learn what kind of animals are in that habitat, how they're moving, and how to how to trap them so that if you do have to go out and do it on a primitive level, now you've got some base of base of knowledge. Yeah, so like you were just talking about trapping, you can there's modern trapping and then there's primitive trapping, right? We get into hunting. Mm-hmm. There is kind of a primitive side. It's really primitive if you go out and you made your own bow right. out using those resources, not bringing them back to the house and using modern day tools, whatever. You know, you can get into those lanes on all that, but really start looking at what foods can I take out with me when I go hiking, camping, and backpacking and take them with you? Great. That's modern day. Right. <laughs> You're doing Absolutely. fantastic. If you want to the primitive side, man, be careful. If you're not knowledgeable in plants or even how to identify them, even using a guidebook, right. hire. Hire somebody. Have yeah, them teach you. Because mistakes can be fatal, especially when you start thinking about things like fungi. Because there's... Oh, yeah. A, I mean, fungi are an amazing thing in a survival situation, but the wrong one will kill you. Yes. And there's so many that look so close alike. There's particular kinds that are literally called false... I mean, there's morels that we look for all the time. That's the most common. And there's a false morel, mm-hmm. and it it's awful for you. You can't mm-hmm. eat it. People have died from it, actually. Right. So, and there's reactions your body may have to things that you eat that it may not happen to other people. So mm-hmm. you got to be careful in in what allergies you may have if you've never tried them before. So, again, we can get deep in all this, but we're gonna keep moving. We've got fire. We're on really fast. So fire, right? Fire is going to help with shelter to keep us warm. Fire is going to help with water if we need to boil it to be able to drink it. And fire is going to help us to cook all that awesome, tasty food. But how do you make fire? And so there's here's a couple examples, some skills that you could get into to learn with fire. So your modern survival side of fire is a big lighter. Literally taking a lighter, that's it, and learning how can I make a fire with just a big lighter. But you can... Start taking other man-made items. There's, they sell so many different tenders. They sell so many different fer- types of ferro rods, uh, different types of lighters, different types of fuels. There's there's a lot of different things that you can buy in regards to making fire. Fire logs, you know, there's fire starting logs and wax coated and candles. And I mean, there's just, there's so much. Right. Find one picket, learn how to do it. And then keep kind of working your way down, move into a ferro rod. Right. You know, we've talked about this so many times. We love ferro rods. Learn how to make a fire using one of those. Can you still take your big lighter with you, but then use your ferro rod? And if you can't get it with your ferro rod, use your big lighter? Absolutely. Yeah. No shame in the game. No. That would be stupid to go test your skills. If you've got the other equipment, take it with you. Mm-hmm. Right. But ferro rod, then from ferro rod, getting into all kinds of fire pistons, there's, uh, all kinds of ways to make a fire, but ferro rods would be a great place to start on the modern side if you already know how to make one using a lighter right. and or matches. Yeah, and before before you move on to the primitive side of, of fire, I want to make this point because it may seem silly that Ben's saying practice with a Bic lighter to make a fire. Well, there are people that think you can take a, a log of firewood, six-inch diameter log, and hold a lighter to it and start it. Um, and maybe if you had a really dry one and just sat there and held it to it, but probably not because uh, the, you're not going through your, your steps of, of tinder and kindling, and you have to know about fire and how to light it and have a base to be able to move up into the more difficult things. So a, a story for me was I planned a camping trip um, for my brother-in-law and his friends, and as we went out, you know, I didn't really know all of them and we were at a we were we were car camping we were at a campground and as it came time to light fire at the night like these guys were all around watching what i was doing (laughs) i mean i brought firewood in the back of my truck for my house it was seasoned to dry split stripped off some small little pieces of it for my kindling and i had a piece of paper for to to light with my lighter Mm -hmm. and the way i structured that they were like enamored by this and i quickly realized these young men had never done this they didn't know how to do this and it was kind of like wow one i made that assumption two skills are being lost they they are being lost and just using a lighter to light a fire may not be as easy to some people as it seems to to you listening to this that's true and and that's where like right now if let's say that you were laughing and hearing that story 
and you've already obtained obtained and learned how do you do that skill, then move on. Mm-hmm. Go do something harder. Keep challenging and testing yourself. You shouldn't shame somebody for what they don't know. Yeah, I mean, I know that sometimes it might be funny. I might snicker a second, but I'm going to go help them. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to teach them how to do it. That's a really good point because I did laugh. Like, I, I maybe even poked fun a little bit, but then I, I did. I, I, I Come over them. here. Let me show you how. And then the next couple nights, you know, they, they did it as well. So. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's the modern side. And then in the primitive fireside, you know, the best one, you hear it all the time, you see it a lot, is the bow drill. You know, it's you've got bow drill. It's going to be easier than doing a hand drill. And these are friction fires. And these are friction fires, absolutely. Um, there's even other types of friction fires that you can get into. Um, there's a lot when it comes to fire on the primitive side. But to for time's sake and to sum it up, you know, bow drill is so rewarding. It is it is difficult, but... Man, it, I got a story for this one. I mean, a, a group of guys, only knew about half the guys going out, but we did an overnight trip. Um, and while out there, I actually took my bow drill kit. If you don't know, making a bow drill kit takes a little bit of time. There's um, so there's so much skill in knowing the proper wood mm-hmm. and the shape and the carving method for your board, your spindle, your bow, all of these things. Um, and if they're not just right, you're you're not ever going to get it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. There's art to that as well. And, and that takes practice and, and or to if learn you don't the have the right wood. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I already took my, my kit. I, w- I want to keep master. I want to keep trying to master that skill, mm-hmm. right. Of doing it with my eyes closed, if, if that helps. But, you know, we were out and they were kind of like, why did you bring this with you? You know, the guy whips out a lighter and he's like, I got a lighter. I'm like, yeah, man, use your lighter. I got a propane torch over here. I mean, here. yeah, yeah. A propane torch, <laughs> blow torch. What, I mean, use what you got. Go, brother, go. You know, I want. I know I can make a fire with a lighter, no problem. Mm-hmm. I know that I can make a fire with a ferro rod, no problem. Wet, dry, doesn't matter. I'm going to get it. I also know that I'm not going to be able to make a fire with a bow drill every single time. Right even though I practice a lot. So I want to put myself in those scenarios, in those challenging moments to get it going. And that's why I'm going to take it and practice. Do I have a big lighter in my, you know, first aid kit back behind me? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And if I ever need it, I'll go get that and I will use it to live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no shame in that game. Right. So. And to, to kind of describe if somebody's listening and is like, well, what the heck is a bow drill? Um, it literally is a, a little bow. So you have a, a curved stick a couple feet long, and then you have a piece of cordage from each end of that. And then you have what's called a spindle, which is a shorter stick, and you put wrap that string around it so that as you move the bow back and forth, that string is spinning, that stick. And then you have your board. And your and your board, you're going to have to carve. That's why I said the carving uh, part is essentially you have to know the shapes and how to get air to it, and that's what your coal is going to fall out of. But you're going to put that spindle on that board, then you have what your little bearing block that goes in your hand that you push on the spindle, and then you're taking your bow and going back and forth spinning this, creating friction on that board. But even more, more specific to that is there's a specific stance and body position mm-hmm. that you have to angles. be in to get that work. Yeah, those angles. And in angles, and if you aren't in that and you don't know that, you're not going to get it. You're just going to exhaust yourself. And then when you see smoke, you're not done. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. And a lot of times when we teach this. Very few people do actually get a coal that they could start a fire with, but the ones that do are just lit up, full of gratification. But everybody in the group is always left physically exhausted. Yeah. After I get a coal, I feel so good. Sometimes I remember one time that coal dropped out of there, and I was so pumped that I couldn't even celebrate because I cramped in both my hip flexors. So I just <laughs> lay there on the ground hurting even though I got it. It is a weird position to get into. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's tough. So, you know, modern primitive I hope that explains enough for those that are listening to understand there are those two sides, but learn how to do both, mm-hmm. you know, before you get in the primitive side, learn how to do the modern side stuff. And let, let me go back through real quick and define a few words. So, you know, wilderness survival is really anywhere greater than an hour from care. That kind of helps you understand that anywhere greater than an hour to get help. That's a wilderness environment. And you want to make for sure you have planned, have some skills before you go out there and, and be in it. You know, then you have the urban area, your urban survival, where you're in the cities. You know, I'm not going to give you the crazy, we'll just use one, the apocalypse, you know, the zombie apocalypse. 
that yeah. kind of kind of give you that idea of what we talk about with the urban survival. And then inside those, you know, so that we've been talking about primitive survival skills. We've been talking about modern survival skills and kind of looking the difference between man-made, God-created, and how do we use all those resources to get food, fire, shelter, water. Right. Before we wrap up, I, I want to address kind of public perception and that question of, of do you need both? And Ben, to really address it, I want you to share uh, a story that you shared with me yesterday about a show that you watched um, that had a, a primitive expert and then kind of, a, he, I think he called himself a, a hillbilly survival expert, yeah. and, and they were out together. But um, to, to kind of talk about why why do you need both of these skills and answer, do you really need both of them? But there is kind of this public perception of people watching on YouTube or people watching at home that if you're using a ferro rod, well, you're not really that much of a survivalist. Can you show me some primitive stuff? Can you show me a bow drill? Can you show me a wiki up? Um, and, and, you know, a lot of times the people that are on those shows, they can. Right. They can show you that. Yeah. But they have this breadth of skill and knowledge because they know that they may need all of it. And it's really kind of just a redundancy. One skill is to back up the other skill. If that skill fails, then you've got another skill to back up that skill. Right. So share that story with me. You bet. And and before I share the story, let me let me explain one more thing that'll kind of help help maybe for you to understand the story too. So within that survival lifestyle and understanding and mindset is the difference between signal and camo. So Brian and I teach signal survival. We also teach camo survival. Another example that would be signal. I need to get rescued. Help me. Help me. You know, signal is or excuse me, camouflage is evading. I don't want anyone to know where at, and I'm, I'm trying to get away, right? So within those, you can either stay, return, or run. So it really depends on the situation that you're in. It really depends on that situation that you're in. Yeah, there's, and there's context to not only the situation, but the skills. Yeah. Because you may be awesome at Bodro fires, and you, you may be able to light it 10 times out of 10. Mm-hmm in your backyard or in your basement or in your garage, we'll say, but you've had that kit in your house, it's dry, you collected all the right stuff. Well, let's say you're somewhere hot and humid, it's it's August and it's 98 degrees and the humidity's 95, and you may think that the stuff you collected is dry and you're out here and you can't get this thing to go. You're getting smoke, but it's not going and you literally try until your body's exhausted, but that's because the context is different. Where you're at is different. It's not it's not your garage. It's not the kit that you've already made and practiced with and air dried. It's it's all new. The context is different. So, uh, being able to sit and look through a, a computer screen or a TV screen, um, you should have some grace. You should absolutely. And and with this story, you know their survival situation was signal. They wanted to be rescued, and so you had it was dual survival. Um, you've never seen it, hop on, watch it sometime, check it out. Different guys, different times. So uh, the the characters change. But in this event, we had our primitive guy, and we had what you what you were saying as the hillbilly survival guy. But really, he was a military man, mm. been in the military. But he was from um, Kentucky, that Kentucky or Ohio, one of those areas there. And he was like, we're in my backyard, and we're going to survive. You know, I, I'm the expert here. Um, whereas the primitive guy, he was used to that Arizona hot desert weather living, like he Dry. barefoot, wearing shorts all the time. Like, yeah. yeah. So you kind of had these guys bickering back and forth this entire episode. You know, the primitive guys like, we need to do it this way. And then you had the military survival man. He's like, ah, I think we ought to do it this way. But they found ways to always come together. However, when it talks about signaling, trying to get rescued, they were, man, just pulling at each other. They, it was just crazy. That, you know, They're trying to teach people how to survive, but they truly were arguing about what is right. And that's my first takeaway is it's whatever works for you. You know, mm-hmm. What is your goal? What is the goal? What are we trying to accomplish and how can we work together to accomplish that? So, it, sh- it shouldn't be a, a macho macho, I'm, I'm more of a man or more of a woman than you because I can do it this way. At the end of the day, if, if you get found or you don't get found, whatever your goal is on survival, then you did it. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and this primitive expert, he is literally a primitive expert. This guy can get a fire going using natural resources like crazy. Yeah. He's so far, good at far it. Far better than you and I. Oh, yeah. 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 He is so good. So the military survivalist is like, yo, won't you get a fire going for us? Well, 
in this scenario, they were using the modern day survival stuff. It was a broke down truck and they were using seats and mirrors and fuel and tires and, you know, everything they could off of this truck to teach how can I survive off of what I have. So they grabbed the battery out. Old primitive man grabs the battery out and he starts, he goes and gets his tender bundle full of dry grasses and birch bark, got it wrapped, ready to go. Puts positive to negative together using copper and, and keeps creating sparks. And he cannot get this fire lit. And he's trying several times. Well, a military guy shows up and he's like, you need help? You know, which you could tell it was really hard for a primitive guy because he's the fire expert. He's got to humble himself. Yeah, and he could not get the fire going. So military survival guy grabs the battery. He's like, well, what you're doing wrong here is, right? Which now he's starting to really <laughs> kind of like, you're doing it wrong. Ruffle some feathers. Ruffling them up. What would happen? What was happening is that um, you know he was trying to to short out that battery, trying to short it out, but because there were too many wires on it, it wasn't getting hot enough. And the military guy saw that, fixed it. Literally one try, whoosh, fire goes. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that, you know the primitive guy, he he ha- he kind of he just swallowed his pride. And he was like, "Listen, you know I'm known as as this fire guy, and I can get fires going, but sometimes we need." Sometimes we need those other people. They they've experienced and, and have the skills that we don't, and we need to learn how to rely on them. And it was it was humbling because this guy is, I thought was a master of fire, and I would have thought he could have got it. But here come this hillbilly, as he called himself, the hillbilly. I've lit I've lit a lot of fires with a battery, you know. Yeah. Like he's he's guessed done it several times, and, and it knew, showed. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing because. because he practiced it. He didn't watch somebody do it. Right. He did it. He did it. He right. actually took a battery and, and has done that before. So that would be my last thing to everyone listening is if you're as passionate as I am, I love this stuff, but find one thing, one skill to go attack and learn and do it and get good at it. Right. Um, and I'd l- just like to end with, you know, our, our level of field experience and the skills that we have, that should dictate what we carry Mm-hmm. outdoors and into the wilderness that's really good yeah don't, don't take something with you that you don't know how to use if you've practiced it then take it with you take at least one thing that you know how to use if you want to take something as backup that you want to practice like ben said he took his bow drill on this trip even though he had his lighter in his backpack please do that because you need those opportunities and you're going to have more peace and you're going to have a more calm mind and dexterity because you know you've got backup if you fail absolutely um, so yeah context everything in context here um don't look down on somebody if if they can't do what you can do help them but teach them i hope that after listening to this everybody kind of has a better understanding of primitive versus modern survival uh we tried to give an example in each area of the core four if you have questions about any of that please reach out to us we do have uh some trips related to this stuff coming up this fall if you're local reach out we'll Mm -hmm. we'll tell you how you can get involved uh, if you like what we're doing and you would like to support us, we'd appreciate it so much. We do have a Patreon, which is where people um, can get on and offer you know, 5 or $10 uh, monthly donations to, to our podcast. We'd really, really appreciate that. There's a link tree on each of our social media accounts. Click on it and then select the Patreon and you can sign up through there. Uh, follow all our social media accounts. We're going to be posting our adventures. Uh, we got a lot scheduled for this fall. We're so excited to go out on some of these trips. Plus, uh, we put content up as we lead up to each episode of our podcast as well. So follow us on there. Hit the automatic download button on the platform that you listen to the podcast. You can also subscribe. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. That is going to be it for this survival episode of Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. We hope that between now and our next episode, you find a survival skill to practice outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandel please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.